Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that is raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solace, and with me is my very, very talented friend who casts spells with her magical elixirs, the mixtress DC Gina. Hi, Louise. Hey. I'm, re- I'm like, I feel a little magical today. I mean, I'm into that. Tis the season. It is the season. It is the season. It's Halloween. Yes. It's Halloween season. So, with that, what better time to uh, dim the lights and talk Salem Witch Trials? What do you think? I love it. All right, let's I do it. I also learned that there's another Salem. Right? <laughs> Salem, Virginia is not the same, or Salem, North Carolina, no, Salem, Virginia yes. is not the same as Salem... Uh, Massachusetts. No, it is not. Those are two different states. And well, yes. Also, <laughs> yeah. Well, I learned about it, and it's like pretty funny. And my daughter corrected me. She's like, "Mom," and she's eight. She's like, "Mom, did you mean Massachusetts or Virginia?" I'm like, "Why do you know that?" And I was like, and I realized we were driving through Virginia, and she was reading the sign. I thought it was Salem, North Carolina, and it's not. It's there Virginia. You there you go. There you go. There's yeah. probably Salem's all across the country, and we just know one. It's like Middletown. There's a Middletown in every state. Exactly. Did you know that? Yes, and yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the witch trials, which we all know took place in Massachusetts. So I'm going to take you back to June 10th, 1692, and it's Bridget Bishop. Apparently, she was the first person to be hanged as a witch in Salem. Um, and... It was her strong personality and her unconventional behavior. And when I say that, I mean, she liked to entertain guests late at night and she dressed uh, what they would consider inappropriate by Puritan standards. So I can only assume maybe somebody caught an ankle or something, you know, that fleshy ankle she she, uh, exposed. I'm not sure. But it wasn't just that. She also had apparently three marriages, and this makes sense, she frequently had disagreements with her neighbors. So of course, of course, this all led to her being an easy scapegoat during the hysteria and serves as a stark reminder, kind of brings us to the dark side, stark reminder of all the dangers of prejudice, intolerance, and the potential consequences of standing out in a society gripped by fear and suspicion, which kind of speaks to today, right? also brings us to today's designated drinker. She gives a voice to the innocent victims of witch hunts from 1692 to present day. She is the director of education at Salem Witch Museum in, again, Salem, Massachusetts. Please welcome to the show, Rachel Christ Dawn. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hello, thanks for having me. Hi. This is exciting. I'm very excited about this one. Are you very exciting? Yeah, Yeah. very excited. So uh, Rachel, I, I gotta know, how and when did you become a witch? <laughs> the amount of times I have been asked that in interviews, I would not believe. Uh, I'm going to start answering it with, you know, <laughs> giving a time frame for my conversion to witchcraft. So before I get started, though, I do have to say it's my due diligence as education director for a slight clarification. Bridget Bishop uh, did not entertain people at night in a tavern. A misconception she gets... Uh, confused with another person who is also married to someone named Edward Bishop. So she gets confused with a Sarah Bishop all the time. And it actually is in relatively recent years, we've managed to untangle their two stories. So they're both kind of um, women who are pushing against social boundaries for one reason or another. Sarah and her husband own a tavern. They let people play shuffleboard late at night and get drunk and things like that. (laughs) Things Puritans are not supposed to be doing. 
And Bridget is this argumentative, very strong woman who, uh, you know, had these fights with her neighbors and was married three times. So uh, I feel like I just my little point of clarification, they're actually separate no. people, but both accused of witchcraft and Bridget was the one who was executed. Um, well, I stand corrected. I mean, what better way you should? Absolutely. She's, so I would have definitely been killed. She's the director of education. Of course, I'm, she's going to prove me wrong. Yeah. Yes, we both would be. We we have no we'd have no chance. Like, probably like like a half an hour ago, they would have been like, <laughs> you have to go. Well, so my my coworker and I always say, uh, you know, our other member of our education department, we would definitely have been accused of witchcraft, just being uh, what we call mouthy women. Yeah. Um, we the people who are executed during the Salem witch trials are the people who really held to their convictions and said, I'm not going to confess, you know, I'm not going to play ball with you in your court. Essentially, they were the really brave ones are the ones who were executed and the people who end up surviving, not that they're not brave, but they were the ones who kind of confessed and said, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. And I feel like the more time I spend with the subject, the more I'm like, I bet I would be one of the strong people who stood by my convictions. But, you know, I, I tend to think that maybe... Maybe I wouldn't be, so anyway. I think you're probably amongst many many of us. I mean, we all have convictions, but all of a sudden you're like, huh, you're going to burn me to death? Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. the one thing that's fucked up. Like, I being burned at the stake, that's just literally, I can't even imagine. That's supposed to be the, I think, what did they say, right? Like, it's the most painful death. I don't know. Did well, they, did we? That like, is. Can we, are we, should we, should we be corrected there too? Would, did we? Did they actually burn in at Salem? Did they burn people? Or because the one I just read about was she was hanged, but I don't. I'm, yeah, that's that's another common misconception. Nobody was burned at the stake for witchcraft in Salem. Um, that was not how England tended to handle witchcraft executions. Witches were treated like felons, so the punishment for a felony was hanging by English common law. And obviously, we're an English colony at the time, but people were burned at the stake in Europe continental Europe and in Scotland. Um, and it actually depends on where you were as to exactly how they would kill you. This is where my body of knowledge gets really morbid, but, um, you know, <laughs> sometimes they would behead you and then burn you. Sometimes they'd, uh, you know, burn you alive. Sometimes they would, uh, strangle you to death and then burn you. So it's, you know, it, it depends on who you are and who's in charge of your, uh, execution method. So here, but in England and the colonies, no burnings did take place. Yeah, I think I'd take the beheading then burning. Because, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. I was just thinking, like, I had such a mouth on me. I couldn't imagine. It'd be like, you were going to have to kill her, like, six times. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> shut the fuck up. You, your head would just keep talking while you're, like, your body's, like, like yes. chicken with your head cut off, literally. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, chicken with the head cut off is the head falls on the ground, but the body keeps going. Yeah. I live on a farm, so. Well, that's what I said, be the I, opposite. I but. saw, oh, the yeah, opposite, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I've seen that now. It's fucked up. Yeah, I've seen that before. It's kind of <laughs> sad. But. It's not sad. It's fucked up. No, I'm just kidding. You know, it is sad. I, I can't talk about it. Otherwise, I'll never eat a piece of chicken again. It's like, I'm getting, I'm getting really depleted on, like, the things I will have living on that farm. Yep. So how did your journey into just go, starting at the museum, how did that happen? Like, where, how did you become the director of the museum? I'm always interested in how people end up in careers like this. Yeah, I, so I kind of ended up here by accident, I always say, um, but it was a very happy accident. I was essentially an undergraduate student, history major. I was really interested in gender studies um, and women's history. And I didn't really know how I was going to make a career out of that. Um, so about midway through my degree, 
I kind of took a shot in the dark and just applied to a bunch of different museums in Massachusetts, thinking I should probably get some experience in a museum setting and see if that's something I would be interested in pursuing as a career. Uh, and the only place that had a paying position and not an unpaid internship was the Salem Witch Museum. So it was literally just uh, the luck of the draw. I didn't know anything about witchcraft history. I didn't know anything about the Salem Witch Trials. Um, but I ended up just uh, becoming obsessed with this subject. It's such rich, interesting history. Um, so I was fortunate because I was in the middle of my undergrad. So I was able to kind of focus my studies on witchcraft history. I uh, did an honors thesis all about the evolving image of the witch and how that kind of relates to our perceptions of women over time. Uh, and then when I graduated, uh, I was back in Salem and a position opened up here where they needed someone to fill the education director role. Uh, so I was literally just in the right place at the right time and uh, got to step into the role. And so I've been here as director of education since 2018. I was able to complete a master's degree while working here full time. Uh, and now I think I'm here forever, which is a good thing because uh, I'm so specialized in witchcraft history. <laughs> but nowhere else I would really rather be. This is such a neat place to work and live. That is cool. So what were your studies initially then? So I was kind of just, for lack of a better term, kind of flopping around. <laughs> I was just taking, uh, you know, random history classes and focusing my work on gender history. So I would, t I took like a Russian history class and a history of Armenia class and a class about piracy in the Atlantic world. And, you know, every time I had a choice to write a paper, I would write it about women in the context of that time period. And women in history yeah. is never a Women fun pirates subject. are good. Yeah. Women pirates are good. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, there's actually a, a new pirate museum. So, you know, if I had been in college, you know, eight years later, maybe it would have been pirate that I got really into. But Wait a uh, minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're telling me in Salem, I could come there, go to your museum about witches and then go to a pirate, a women's pirate museum? Well, it's not a women's pirate museum. It's just a, it's oh. a, it's a pirate oh, museum. Oh. But, I almost like had a panic attack. I was like, I'm gonna come there. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> she, Gina would leave the room, get in the car, and come up there immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have not one, but two my pirate museums now. So that's kind of fun. Conflicting pirate stories. There we go. Arr. I know. Do <laughs> a competition. Are um, there are there any <laughs> do, so Does the witch mean a pirate? Because like that's also important to me, I feel like. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. I, well, I'm I just mean, kidding. on those standards, female pirates would could be deemed witches, right? So, I mean, kind of yes and no. I mean, I feel like my, I am really reaching far back. I think the whole piracy thing is going on a little bit after witch trials. Uh, like when the golden age of piracy is happening, witch trials are starting to wind down. Don't, you know, don't hold me to that. I could be off. I don't really recall the whole history of piracy. Uh, it's women who are kind of pushing against social boundaries. So uh, but, you know, being a female pirate would not necessarily mean you're also accused of witchcraft, but it, it could. <laughs> that was my point. You're oh drinking. Oh, my God. You're hanging out. With <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people that would call you demonic for that, you know, back then. So. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the museum. So we're kind of a non-traditional museum. Uh, the Salem Witch Museum was founded in 1972. So our 50th anniversary was last year. 
which makes us one of the oldest witch museums here in Salem. Uh, you know, the oldest Amazing. museum to interpret the full story of the Salem witch trials. Um, so kind of non-traditional format. We're not your standard uh, walk-through gallery artifact-centered museum. Uh, and that has a lot to do with the fact that there just aren't a lot of artifacts from the witch trials. It's really just uh, a selection of court documents, though even those we don't have uh, in their entirety, um, and a couple of objects that may have belonged to individuals involved in the trials. Um, and those are all obviously extremely delicate items that really were beyond the uh, capacity of the founders of this museum. Like we couldn't facilitate a collection like that. So instead, we um, they created this museum that is this immersive presentation style. Um, so it's kind of a neat educational format. What we do here is offer two presentations. The first is this immersive presentation where you go into a darkened theater setting uh, and stage sets are illuminated above and around you in time with a narration that tells you the story of the Salem witch trials in about 25 minutes. So from the very beginning to the very end, kind of what the major points of that year were. So it gives you this kind of immersive interesting look into 1692 and you get this overview of the events then you go into a second space which is called witches evolving perceptions where we talk about the evolving image of the witch so the european witch trials and how we get our stereotypical witch with her pointed hat and her green skin and the broomstick uh, we talk about what the word witch means today so modern uh, neo-paganism and wicca and then we conclude by talking about the formula for a witch hunt and the lessons that witch trials have to teach us living in the modern day. So that's in the, the it's interesting when we were talking the other day, I didn't think about the fact that you wouldn't have artifacts. But when you stated that, I was like, well, of course not. So that really, it, it would make for a really unique uh, museum experience then, I would assume. I've never gone. We should go. I want to go. Yeah. I want to yeah. go, but I also want to say this. Fucking men have been holding women down forever. <laughs> just like forever. Since the moment we, we like arrived, like it just never ends. It never ends. So that's 100% true. I will say, uh, you know, in my education director hat that um, men were accused of witchcraft as well. And that's always important to include in these conversations. Uh, this There's one historian who says witchcraft is not a gender specific crime it's a gender related crime so men could be suspected they could be accused they were executed women were at a much higher risk for being accused and being executed and that's why our stereotypical witch today is almost always depicted as a woman because you know when people of the time uh you know the time when witch trials were happening were thinking of witches they were usually thinking of women and they were usually women who were maybe older, living alone, kind of weird, you know, again, all <laughs> things relate to our kind of stereotypical witch. So would you consider that the witches were like healers? Like were they, weren't were they like a lot of them healers or no? Was that like not real? That's what my interpretation of it is. Not necessarily. Uh, it's kind of an older thought in scholarship. Um, so some people who were skilled with like herbs and magical, you know, remedies, you know, could make you a love potion or, you know, try to heal a sick person in your house using, uh, what they considered to be magical remedies. Those people could be accused of witchcraft, but that wasn't the only reason you would be accused, if that makes sense. So plenty of people are using folk magic during this time. Uh, people would use it to protect your home to, as I said, you know, 
bring drive sickness away, things like that, bring good luck. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean you would be accused of being a witch. Uh, usually there are other factors involved as well. For example, uh, you're a midwife, you uh, have a difficult labor with a mother and the baby dies and the mother's overcome with grief. And she says, you're a witch. You wanted the baby to die. You know, like there's a, a oh, an act yeah. of misfortune, you know, or you've had a fight with your neighbor and then your neighbor's cow gets sick and dies and they say, oh, well, you caused it because, uh, you know, you're mad at me because we had a fight. You know, there's some other factor involved that leads to the accusation. But, um, you know, women who used magic could be accused. That did happen. It's just not the only reason they were accused. That's interesting. It was more of a... Uh, um... Uh, a way to judge somebody or to to get back at them, been some vindictive space as opposed to uh, you're really doing something against like the greater good of man, which is like, yeah, typical, huh? Um, you know what witches do do are tricks, but ours sometimes gives us tips. What do you think, Gina? I'm ready. <laughs> Let's. We're gonna do a little uh, a little magic of our own. There well. we go. All right, okay. we're doing our little tips and tricks. Here we go. So, can you even talk about this? Like, everything has glitter in it now. Every magical little thing in the planet is like glittery. I can't believe it. So I was in a, one of my favorite uh, cooking stores, right? It's like uh, well-known, we they're, they're not paying me, so I'm not talking about them. But they had sparkle maple syrup. So you can make your pancakes more magical. I lost it. I was like, look at this, they put what is called luster dust and pastry shops have been using it forever inside of syrup, right? So now you see the bottom here, it's all there, right? And it says shake to make it sparkle. Okay, well, let's shake it. We'll shake it together. So you can actually see what this looks like because it's so crazy. My kids were going crazy in the store because they're like, mom, you're really gonna buy that? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, and they got home and they're like, are we gonna have pancakes? I'm like, no, I'm gonna use it for my cocktail show. So they were not very happy with me as a mother at that point, but you have to see this, right? This is now gone from your body wash from Bath and Body Works, right? Or a body shop or wherever you shopped to now to your pancakes and into your cocktails. I find this to be hilarious, but you know what? It's October, it's magical. You put a little bit of magic on everything for your children, for you, for your inner child, it's fine. Right, how do I use this? Well, easy, maple syrup. Just make a maple syrup old fashioned. You can just basically no simple syrup, use the maple syrup with the glitter, make it a little bit magical, right? This one though, really takes the cake. So I've been using cocktail, uh, cotton candy in my cocktails for a very long time. Well, this is pre-packaged, pre-packaged cotton candy with edible glitter. And it says, got 99 problems, but glitter ain't one. Look, you're not gonna make cotton candy at home. Let's be honest with each other, right? I do not work for these people. This is hilarious though, because I feel like this is one of those things that you do and you're like, you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this. And then you really do and then you die laughing. So I'm gonna actually put it in here, but so you take it out and inside of the middle of this, inside of the middle of this is a glitter pouch and you're gonna open it up and you just drop it in your drink and the whole thing turns to glitter, which is completely insanity, right? So you have that and you're like, okay, that's cool. 
So that's really great in a cocktail like a French 75 because you make the cocktail the way that you want it with champagne, then you just drop this little pouch of glitter inside and then boom, you have sugar and this like glitter bomb and it's like super fun, you know, and they have some flavors and stuff like that, but it's just like an added thing you could do for your friends and stuff, right, the magic. Finally, my last favorite thing, right? Again, my kids super pissed at me. Glitter lollipops. But you know what they were in the store for? They weren't there for like a little lecking, like you think a lollipop's for, no. They are pitcher cocktail stirrers, and they admit glitter. So you can make a magical pitcher for your holiday, Halloween, so I say holiday, what is a holiday, right? Your holiday glitter needs. So I guess if you want a little bit of pizzazz on your Hanukkah or Christmas, I guess this would come in handy. So cheers, I hope you have a magical season. See, you can put a little bit of magic in your cocktail by adding a little bit of glitter and you don't have to even cast a spell to do it. Louise. Oh, look at that. And I'm not gonna end up being like burned at the stake, right? <laughs> I don't think so. But it's fun. That. It's, you know, it's fun and um, it's, you know, the right season to do it. And I think, you know, I don't know, there's a little magic involved. So there we go. Enjoy it. So where are they gonna go to get that tip? <laughs> You're gonna go to designateddrinker.show for the tip and trick in the how-tos. And um, you can also follow us on Instagram at designateddrinker. And you can see my face making this tip for you. Perfect. Um, and if you didn't catch all that, don't worry about it. Just head down into your episode notes. Um, you can scroll down. You'll be able to find all those links Gina was talking about, the website, our Instas. And then the other thing we're going to do is make sure you get a link to the museum, to the Salem Witch Museum. So when people want to find out more or get some tickets and, you know, bring up the whole squad. I want to go. I do. Yeah. I do. I do want to go. It seems like a great place to take the girls. I, my kids would love it. Are you kidding me? There you go. I've lied to them, told them their grandma is a witch. <laughs> so, just the grandmother? <laughs> what? Yeah, I know, right? So look, before we do this, before we go any further, um, Rachel, if somebody wanted tickets, do is there a time frame? Do you have to go ahead? Do you have any tips on that for our listeners? Uh, yeah, so we, are, we sell same-day tickets only. So the best kind of tip is that uh, if you're coming and it's especially uh, if it's a busier time of year, uh, I recommend going on earlier in the morning. Uh, go to our website, salemwitchmuseum.com slash tickets, and you'll see all of the available presentations for the day. Uh, and I always just recommend if you're worried about reserving a ticket on the day of, just make sure you do it in the morning before you get here on our website. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. And like I said, we'll make sure we'll have a link to that in our episode notes. So... All right. So this brings us to the end of part one with designated drinker, director of education at the Salem Witch Museum in Salem, Massachusetts, Rachel Christian Dawn. But if you're anything like me and Gina, one round is just never enough. So jump on your broom, go top off that drink, and get ready for part two of this episode as we continue our boozy banter. And you're not going to want to miss what Gina serves up in her cauldron. <laughs> <laughs> The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a Latino-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, we craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. 
Find Missing Links League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to follow, download, and review the shows. Your reviews help our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.